Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right, welcome back. That's me, that's me. And I am here in a beanie and a, I believe the technical term is cowl neck, uh, because it's officially chilly here in St. George, and I love sweater weather, so I'm very happy to be bundled up as we get ready to talk about a group of people who love bundling up. We're going to be talking about friends with benefits relationships and other forms of casual um, encounters, we will call them, and to join me is my good friend and colleague, fresh off of her dissertation defense. So please join me at home with a big congratulation to Dr. Nikki Trucelli. Woohoo! Thank you, James. It does feel fresh. It, One week. One right? week ago. Yeah, and I was fortunate enough this uh, this time last week to tune in for the very, very, very end of your defense, and I got to hear uh, what was going on for those folks at home who don't know. Nikki and I actually have the same um, advisor for our dissertation yes. committee, Dr. Paul Monjo, and I don't bring that up just as like you know one of those like levels of connection. I bring it up because Dr. Monjo is one of the leaders in the academic community on friends with benefits research and that is of course what we are talking about today um so uh, i would like to start off the way that we always start off uh, and if we could just hear a little bit about uh who you are nikki and uh and and, and what brought you to this area of scholarly inquiry Sure. Um, well, thank you for having me, James. I am so excited to be here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast also. Uh, so yeah, um, I think it was in 2014, I actually went to the National Communication Association Conference for my first time and highly recommend it for all listeners who are curious and research in some of the topics you talk about. And I saw Dr. Vonjo. Um, James, you were probably there. And I saw his research team talking about friends with benefits. And I said, oh my goodness, I can research this. How cool is that? Um, and so I was actually obtaining my master's in communication at the time at San Diego State. And at that moment, I decided I wanted to follow Paul. And so I applied to Arizona State and just received my PhD um, a week ago. So Woo! really fresh. And I love studying all types of relationships. Um, I originally was really focused on friends with benefits. And I also uh, examined romantic relationships and mm -hmm. attachment and anything under uh, that relational world. Yeah, and we've talked about attachment theory on this show when yeah. we had, yeah, when we had Laura Guerrero on, we spent a little bit of time talking about that theory. I don't know exactly how far we'll be able to get into uh, specific theories today just because we have so much to talk about just in yeah. terms of yeah. like defining what we're even talking about. So why don't we, why don't we start there? Um, can you, uh, in as few words <laughs> as possible, <laughs> can we talk about what it is? means to be in a friends with benefits relationship like what is it what do we do in these relationships sure sure so i think in simplest terms these are friends who are engaging in some type of sexual behavior or sexual interaction um outside of a long-term commitment and usually without any type of romantic label mm. but what we know is there's diversity there. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned earlier, Dr. Paul Monjo has actually defined the seven types of friends with benefits. So originally uh, there was a belief that, you know, everyone would kind of fit this definition, but what we now know is there are many different flavors, if you will, of friends with benefits. Do you remember them? I'll never forget them. 
Yes, I do know them. I don't know if you want to spend time going into them. That's up to you, James. <laughs> let's do it. Let's go. Let's go back and forth real quick with the seven types. Yeah. So we've cool. got we've got true friends, right? And true friends sure. is the traditional belief of the friendship comes first. We used to be friends. We decided to spice it up with a little bit of sexy time, and it's more platonic than anything else. But there is definitely sexuality there, and there is zero romance. That is the Hollywood definition of a friends with benefits relationship like that movie with Justin Timberlake and yeah. uh, Mila Kunis. Then of course we've got the exact opposite which is just sex. Do you want to take that one? Yeah, just sex. So just sex again. Um, they are still friends with benefits, so the friendship is still there. However, there's a greater emphasis on the sexual component. So um, if interaction is taking place, um, or you know, any type of conversation is taking place outside of the actual sexual component, it's usually focused on the when and the where of um, how this sexual interaction is going to take place. Yeah. So these folks are not going out for coffee. They are not doing homework <laughs> together. They are meeting up for physical contact. And if they're interacting, it's probably just to set the next quote unquote date. And so you may exactly. be listening, you may be listening to this and thinking, well, like I kind of do some of both of those. And if that's you, you may actually fall into the third category, which is referred to as network opportunism. And these are folks who are kind of friends. Maybe they share mutual friends. Maybe they hit up the bars together. And if they can't find anybody else, they go home. Like this is the person that you get, like the, as Dr. Manjo would say, the 3 a.m. sup text like right like or now the kids are saying wyd which is of course what you're doing and um oh man that's new to me and then we get into the weird ones and this is where i think the the future of friends with benefits research is really in these transition types um there are four transition types um three of them are transition in one of them is transition out do you want to mm -hmm. take the successful transition transition in yeah of course so yeah this is i think where um the research kind of became overwhelmed with uh, the diversity and the idea that, ooh, some of these relationships actually do have some level of romantic intent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, more research opportunities. Um, <laughs> so successful transition in are our folks who use this as kind of a, um, a trial period. So there is some sort of romantic intent, maybe from one or both partners. We try this thing out. If it goes well, whoop we successfully transition into something romantic, yay for us. And that can also happen, and this is the second transition type, that can happen on accident. And what we find yeah. is that of the transition types, the accidental one is the, it tends to be the most common, okay? So these are folks who they, just wanted a little bit of fun and then all of a sudden you're hanging out with this person three, four, five days a week and now you're pretty much in a relationship and you didn't mean for it to happen, uh, but it did. Um, and that of course can also fail, which is when we get into the yeah. failed transition in friends with benefit type. You tried it, it didn't work, um, but you still kind of want to knock boots from time to time. And mm -hmm. then finally there's the transition out. So do you want to finish us off with that one? Yeah, transition out. So these folks were in a romantic relationship and for whatever reason that did not go well. And so, oop, well, we can still have the sexual component. You mm -hmm. want to try that? And so it's kind of the when it didn't, you know, end in a happily ever after, we can still be FWBs. Yeah. I, and isn't that fun? And now if you're overwhelmed listening to this and you can't remember what section was just described or what category you fit into, um, you are not alone. And in fact, the researchers like myself, like Nikki, like Dr. Manjo, we all kind of decided that that is not the best way to grasp 
what's happening in friends with benefits relationships. And I don't want to bore the listeners with it, but what we're doing now is we're taking a more quantitative look at things. We're looking at scales and dimensions of romantic interest. Um, and, uh, oh shoot, what's the second one? Uh, romantic intent and closeness. And closeness, yes, yes, yes. So how, how close you are with this person and to what extent do you actually want to pursue a romantic endeavor with them? And as you can imagine, those seven types all fall on different spaces on those two spectrums. I wish we had time to talk about that, but something tells me that the listeners aren't super interested in <laughs> the statistical methods behind uncovering friends with the benefits types. Tell you what, if you're interested in that, send us an email, redrockrelationships at yeah. gmail.com. I will bore you to death with statistics about friends with benefits relationships. <laughs> but the other thing that I wanted to talk about with you, Nikki, is the extent to which these folks engage in specific behaviors. I, I, I'll clarify. A lot of people say things like, oh, the friends with benefits term, like that's from like the 90s. Like we're, okay. we're just talking. Or yeah. I just, I gave this person my snap, so we're snapping now. Um, or I have a thing with this person. I have a thing with this per Very ambiguous. Can we talk about that ambiguity? Are those relationships different from FWBRs? And if so, um, how? Yeah, that's such a good question. So, um, and it's perfect because, of course, this is a communication podcast. And so what yeah. we're finding is, yeah, the word FWB, friends with benefits, is still used. But like you said, there's all these other very ambiguous terms that are being thrown around. I'm hearing in my classes, James, I'm sure you're hearing them with your students, too. Um, and what we're, what we're kind of coming to realize is that very possibly these new terms that are used are actually, um, you know, capturing the same experience or phenomenon of friends with benefits, but really just the language is changing and becoming more abstract as almost a way to um, outsmart, if you will, older generations. Yeah. So it kind of goes to that like idea of, you know, the social construction of the language that we use. And we can, um, as younger generations, continue to kind of be creative with our language in order to capture the same thing but again, with just a new term that maybe the older generations aren't aware of. Yeah, and I think this is happening. Maybe it's happening unconsciously, maybe it's happening on purpose, but it is, like you said, it's happening as a reaction, right? People right. find out about the term friends with benefits and now it's not cool anymore, right? Now that right. itself, people get into these relationships to avoid labels, friends with benefits has become the label. So now we must, as you know, primarily young adults and adolescents, we must transition away from that term. And that's where things like talking and snapping and the thing or, you know, whatever. But we know if you say that you're talking with someone, odds are that you're doing more than just talking with that person. Exactly. Um, so I, just to be super clear from an academic standpoint, when we talk about friends with benefits relationships, we're talking about everything that you just brought up. Uh, whereas when the people who engage in those relationships talk about it, they're actively avoiding that term for the reasons that we, uh, for the reasons that we just got into, which I find fascinating. I don't know. Me too. Me too, James. And I think, um, like you pointed out earlier, as there's more as pop culture too catches onto the term, like, you know, now we have movies on friends with benefits. It's like, okay. And next phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of an exciting, that's why it's such an exciting thing to research. Yeah, it's like the word lit. Like everyone was using the word lit. And then like, <laughs> and then some senator was like, this hearing is gonna be lit. And we were like, <laughs> canceled. 
No more. It's over. We're not using that word anymore. Um, so speaking of young people, we know from the research that the large, I mean, the overwhelming majority of people who do these relationships are college students or college aged mm -hmm. students. So can you spend a little bit of time explaining what's so um, enticing about that college scene? What makes it such a special place for friends with benefits or the talkers, the snappers or whatever? What makes it such a breeding ground for those types of relationships? Yeah, such a fun question to explore. Um, so, you know, the typical college scene is usually um, a traditional college student, if you will, is usually between like 18 to 25 years old. We call that the emerging adult population. And it's such an exciting time for relational development, development of romantic competence, um, a time to explore your sexual relational identities. And it's a very uncertain time, meaning I know I'm in college for four years or two years or whatever I choose, and I don't know the next step after that. And I don't know if I really wanna totally commit. I know it's an investment to someone else. Maybe I just kinda wanna have someone there who maybe can you know, serve as a friend, if you will, and have the sexual component, but I still wanna be a little selfish. I still wanna go you know, travel abroad to Spain for a semester and not have to worry about a romantic partner. So with all of the opportunities, I think, of the college scene, um, the idea of really bunkering down with someone in a long-term, you know, traditional romantic label sounds overwhelming. Yeah. And it really makes these types of relationships attractive. Yeah, now uh, way back in the day, episode two, we talked about the investment model. And one of the big things we talked about was something called quality of alternatives, right? How many yeah. other people are out there who can meet the, in this case, the sexual or even the relational or platonic needs that we have. And it just so happens that when you go to college, you are surrounded by a bunch of people who are your age, who are also probably pretty good looking, right? If you think about most <laughs> traditional college students, like there's a lot of vanity going on right there with the gym sure. and the, 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 the primping and the grooming. Um, and, and this is happening all across the spectrum. Um, so I, I think to myself like, yeah, this is, this is the exact time uh, to, like you said, experiment and explore with, with what you're going through and to also still have that, that safety net and then, of course, things get a little complicated from there. Um, and so I yeah. want to spend some time talking about those complications. Um, yeah. What special challenges do you see these folks who, we're, again, we're going to call them FWBRs, but we're talking mm -hmm. about a wide range of relationships. What sure. unique challenges do friends with benefits relationships face? Yeah, so there's two that really stick out. Um, Number one is kind of the DTR, define the relationship talk, if you will. Ooh, yeah. And um, I see your face, James, because <laughs> yes, it can be relationally threatening. Yes, this might not be your traditional relationship, but it is still some type of relationship. And if that talk isn't had, there can be a lot of, again, uncertainty, yeah. ambiguity, which is interesting because by nature, these relationships are ambiguous, but with greater, you know, with larger uncertainty, there's more room for problems, um, you know, maybe some psychological harm. For example, maybe I thought that this was like a close friends with benefits relationship. I kind of thought we were, you know, each other's only friends with benefits. I later find out you have four other friends with benefits. Um, this could be, you know, uh, harming psychologically, emotionally harming, if you will. So even though it's not your traditional relationship, that talk still needs to be had, those boundaries of what this friends with benefits, what this casual sexual relationship looks like for us. And that might be different than one I've previously had. And so that's why that conversation is so important. Um, 
And the other thing that pops out, which is related to having this talk, is regarding safe sex. Yeah. And if we're not having this talk, we're not able to ensure that we are engaging in, um, you know, what we can of safe sex within this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's awkward. I totally get it. It's uncomfortable. It's even more so uncomfortable because we're not really supposed to, by nature, be having these talks since we're not a traditional romantic relationship. But they still need to be had. Yeah, it's a communication issue, which is why we're talking about yeah. it right now. Um, it's it's upsetting, right? Because you get into this relationship with the expectation that I don't need to meet your parents and you don't need to meet mine, and we're not going to get each other birthday presents or anniversary gifts, and we're <laughs> we're just going to have this like totally free flowing relationship where like things just kind of go with the flow, and then you turn around and you're still getting into fights. You're still stressed out about this other person, and you know I tell my students this all the time. If you want to have a successful casual relationship, uh, you need to define the relationship. You need to Mm -hmm. set clear expectations and boundaries. You need to have regular talks about safer sex practices. Um, You need to hang out with each other's friends and truly get to know each other so you can vibe on each other in the correct way. And then I turn around and I say, now tell me what about what I just described. Tell me what's different between that and a relationship. And it's usually met with silence. Um, So at the end of the day, I would suggest, and I take a grim outlook, on friends with benefits relationships, I would suggest that the people who do these relationships are likely trying to avoid commitment for whatever reason, which is totally fine. Yeah. But what you cannot avoid is you cannot avoid the necessary conversations that need to be had across any relationship, but especially when there's physical contact involved. You're just never going to escape it. So if you're getting into this relationship to avoid that communication, you may want to reevaluate your motivations. Am I am I safe saying that? You are so safe saying that. And James, what came, which is, I just realized also is we were talking about earlier, the diversity of friends with benefits. I think that just gives ever more, you know, evidence or support to have conversation because maybe I really want to get into this friends with benefits because I'm really emphasizing the friend component, but maybe you are like, oh yeah, I was kind of hoping for more the just sex type of friends with benefits. Mm-hmm. And so even that right there is an area of potential conflict or, um, again, uncertainty that could lead to, um, you know, some type of harm. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it's even just the friendship yeah. ending after that. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment here. Just, I'm just going to nerd out for a quick second on this. Nerd, nerd, nerd. <laughs> uh, I co-authored a paper with Dr. Mongeau and two other, um, uh, ASU graduate students at the time, uh, Dr. Veluschek and uh, Veluschek and uh, Dr. Poster. Poster, how do you pronounce Carly's last name? That sounds about correct to me. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard anyone say it out loud. I'm so sorry, Carly. We did a <laughs> we did a uh, a a paper about the motivations that people have for getting into these relationships. And then we also asked them, hey, how have your motivations changed six, seven, 12 months later? And what we found is that, you know, people are motivated by similar things. I want sex, I'm looking for a connection, I want something chill, I'm specifically looking for this type of relationship. And then you've got the people who just accidentally slid into the relationship. Uh, You know, they didn't mean to do it, but it just kind of happened. Yeah. But the depressing answers, they came when we asked them how their motivations have changed. And we would get answers like, you know, I got into this just to, you know, just to have some casual sex, but, um, you know, it's been five months and I think I'm in love with this person and they don't love me back and I don't know what to do. And I'm just stuck here, like kind of taking what I can get. And the, the whole take what you can get thing is so prevalent in the Friends with Benefits research. And it is upsetting when you read the actual data that these that these folks are, you know, confiding in you as a researcher. 
how can we as relational scholars do our very, very best to prevent that sort of negativity from happening in these relationships, if we can do anything at all? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think I think it starts with um, really encouraging individuals to not only know their relational boundaries, but then also know when it's time to end the relationship. And again, it's not a traditional relationship, but you still need to know when this relationship is no longer looking like what you intended it to look like and or where maybe it looked like what you wanted it to in the beginning, but now where you are, James, just like you're saying, these motivations change, knowing when it's time to say, you know what, this is no longer serving me. And that's challenging, again, especially because there's that friend layer, maybe there's like a social network involved. Yeah. Um, but really just knowing what you want and if, if the relationship is serving you today and if it's going to serve you in a week, and if it's not, then it's okay. It's time to say goodbye. Yeah, all relationships do have a lifespan. We have just a few minutes left. I want to talk about the other issue that you brought up, yeah. which was like safer sex practices. Next week, yep. we're going to talk with Dr. Lori Bednarczyk about consent and safer sex practices. So awesome. I don't want to harp on it too much. Next season, uh, we're going to talk about uncertainty, of which there is a lot in these relationships. <laughs> I am disturbed by a paper co-authored by one of our former guests on, uh, two of our former guests on this show, uh, Lisa Von Ralta, uh, Mark Generous, Dr. Manjo, and Dr. Bednarczyk. They wrote a piece on the rules that these friends with benefits couples establish. And like mm -hmm. nowhere in the rules, they were all communication rules about like, well, if you sleep with someone, you gotta tell me or don't tell me at all. But it was nothing about, hey, we need to get STI tests every six months. Or right. it was never, you must, we must have safe sex and also you must have safe sex with other people. Those rules were not there. How can we help set up those rules so that we are making sure that people engage in the proper behaviors when they decide to, yeah, get freaky for yeah. lack of a better term. Yeah, exactly. I, and I don't know, um, you know, I'm not sure if we can do this today, but I think the college university and the college environment is actually changing this narrative. These conversations are considered not sexy, if you will. And we need to rewrite that and we need to make these conversations sexy. Yeah. Um, and you know, to make it hot to have these kind of conversations, because guess what? That means you're taking care of yourself and you're taking care of this other person and, um, you're creating a healthy environment for this, this this relationship to either flourish or develop into whatever it's going to develop into. And so, I mean, it sounds silly, but learning how to start these interactions can be a challenge too. If, if someone has never started a conversation on this of like, how do we, you know, how do we engage in the safest sex that we can? Yeah. And what does that look like for both of us? Um, and so creating a culture of, you know, sexy, safe sex talk. <laughs> yeah, being being positive about sex talk. I mean, the research shows that sexual satisfaction is increased when you talk about the things you like to do in bed, but the biggest thing is when you talk about the things that you don't like. Um, and those are often the hardest conversations to have. Um, and what we find is people are skirting those conversations purposely um, and even doing horrible things like, do you, what is that term for when uh, there's a heterosexual couple and the man will put on a condom and then take it off when, when the woman's not looking? There's a term oh, for it. Oh, I know, yes, it's not coming to me either. I've heard of it. I, I know mm -hmm. for a fact that our, our Maybe guest, our listeners know it. <laughs> maybe our listeners know it, and I know for a fact our next guest, Dr. Bednarczyk, will yes, know it she for will. sure. Um, so yeah, we've got about a minute left. Is there any advice that you would wanna give to folks who are maybe struggling with a tough friends with benefits relationship right now for whatever reason? Yeah, great question, James. I think 
really it starts with, you know, some self work, meaning is this relationship serving me? What do I want? If I think this relationship is going to serve me right now, why is it? Is it because I'm hoping that this is going to transition into something romantic? Um, and if that's, if that is the case, be really honest with yourself and, um, you know, it's going to be scary, but have that conversation with this person to make sure that you are on the same page. Um, and again, it really just starts with knowing myself to ensure that this relationship can be satisfying and actually can be serving and can have the benefits that we would hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough to have that conversation with yourself and it's even more tough to have that conversation with somebody when you think that, Oh, gosh, perhaps this person might no longer want to sleep with me if, if we talk about these things. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we have to grapple with that. And, you know, we also owe it to the other person. Uh, if they 100%. want a relationship and we don't, we owe it to them to be upfront about how we feel. Otherwise, we're not doing the right thing. But I want to thank my guest, Dr. Nikki Trishelli, for Woo! coming in and talking to us. We are going to be talking about consent and safer sex practices next time with Dr. Bednarchik. I'm looking forward to it in a big, big way. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.